Before we begin to look at God's Word, I just uh, thought I'd make a comment about last week and say thank you very much for uh, last week and uh, I thought it went really well. I, I certainly enjoyed being a part of that service, the induction service, and uh, all those visitors, my family and friends who came along, uh, thoroughly enjoyed themselves and ma- were made to feel very welcome here. So they experienced your loving kindness and the, as you put on the lunch there. And I was quite thrilled, I must say, I, I didn't get a chance to really comment on it, but that uh, charge that was sent through from my hero, Mark Dever, uh, that was a complete surprise to me. Keith Nolte did not warn me about that coming through. And so it's, it's like the, the person that you'd most want to meet in your life. If you could meet anyone that was alive today, uh, that person for me is Mark Dever. And so for him to be aware of me and to send that through was quite a privilege to me. But also I... I I was quite struck by what he said as well, that he he reminded me of of Acts 20 and 28 where it says that Christ paid for the the church by his blood. He bought the people of the church by his blood. And that goes for you guys here, that uh, that Christ saw you as so precious in his eyes that he bought you with his own blood. And I... Uh, I feel intimidated by that, of course, because I ha- I'm here to care for you and Jesus did it with his own blood and so uh, I cannot promise that I'll be able to do that for you guys but I will endeavour to, to look after you and to remember that you are indeed precious in Jesus' eyes and so therefore you should be precious in my eyes and I'll try and hold on to that as it was a celebrity of mine, you could say, that said that to me, it should stick and so hopefully I'll always remember that you are indeed precious in Christ's eyes and so you should be precious in my eyes and I should not take it for granted, this wonderful opportunity that God has given me to lead you as his sheep. All right, well before we look at God's word, let us speak to him and ask for his assistance. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to have your word, to have the words of eternal life here before us. They're not words that are just some sort of academic knowledge, some sort of intellectual pursuit that we're looking at this morning, but they're words that are powerful and effective and life-changing. We pray that they may indeed be that this morning as we come with hard and stubborn hearts, We pray that they may reach out and hit us hard, that we may be struck and that we may be changed and that we may live more boldly and courageously for your Son, Jesus Christ, who bought us with his own blood. We are indeed precious in his eyes and we pray that he may be precious in ours. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, childbirth is an interesting phenomenon. I first, of course, learnt a lot about it at school in biology. Biology was my favourite subject at high school. And so uh, part of the biology program is, of course, sex, reproduction and childbirth. And so I learnt about it at school. And then I went to do a medical degree at university. And so I did human biology, a couple of uh, subjects, human biology one, two and three. And so I learned more about sex, reproduction and childbirth and so my knowledge grew. And it was quite an interesting thing to learn about, of course. Uh, But now I'm going to be experiencing this phenomena for the first time, first hand later this year. 
and it's kind of taken on a bit of a different edge. It was always sort of this academic thing and all right, this is how it all works. But this year I'm going to be seeing it happen in a, in, for, for real basically. It's not going to be in a textbook any longer. And it's kind of a bit weird for me in some ways. Particularly the, 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 the thing, I, I mean I always knew that there was going to be a baby inside but there's, a ba- there's someone actually inside Jill moving around. I felt a kick for the first time this week. Jill's felt a kick for many times. Uh, it, it often keeps her up and you know, it's kicking quite a lot lately. Uh, but whenever I put my hand there, it would stop. And uh, so obviously it's already getting used to disciplinary action, isn't it, uh, from a father. But, uh, no, but this week I felt it kick for the first time. And uh, so it was quite exciting, but also a bit weird. It always reminds me of the Alien movie where you know, the alien pops out of the woman's stomach. And so it's quite strange that there's someone living inside Jill. And the other thing that uh, kind of makes it a bit weird is that you can't back out. You can't ask for a refund. You can't say, I, I don't want to go through with this anymore. I've, I've heard the stories. I, you know, it's going to be quite painful. You can't say, no, 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 uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, you have to. It's, it's, kind of, it's going to happen whether you like it or not. So it's quite an interesting phenomena and I'm sure I'm going to grow in my knowledge and interest in it uh, this year. And today we're looking at a different type of childbirth though as well. So there's the childbirth, the physical, the earthly childbirth, but then in the Bible it speaks of another type of childbirth. It speaks of being born again. It's a different childbirth from the one I learnt about at school, from the one I learned about at university and the one that I, learned, I will learn about later this year as Jill has our first child. It's talking about a heavenly childbirth, being born again. And we see it mentioned in verse 3 of John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there, open them up to page 1051 if it's a church pew Bible. John chapter 3, verse 3. In reply to Nicodemus, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is being born again. And so my first main point is the question, what, is, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? Well, it's obviously described as a second birth. The word again reflects that there's already been a birth. And so that birth is of course our physical birth, but this birth is a second birth and it's different from the first birth. How is it different? How do we know that it's a different, that we don't have to be born in the same way that we were born the first time? Well, the way that it's described as being born again, that word again in verse 3 can actually also be translated born from above. And you see that's not in the main text of the NIV translation there from the Greek, but there's a little footnote, letter C, down the page and it says born from above. So there's ambiguity there and John loves to do this. Uh, There's words there that have two meanings. He goes for it and uses them so he sort of has this play on words. And so it can be translated again and it can be translated from above. And so we see that this born again is actually different from the earthly birth. It's a birth, a heavenly birth. It's very different. Now of course Nicodemus doesn't understand this. He doesn't catch on that it's not again, it's from above. And so he says in verse 4, how, is it, how can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. 
He doesn't understand that it's a different type of birth. It's not the same sort of birth that we all know about from witnessing, through reading and through witnessing it ourselves. It's a different type. It's not the type that Nicodemus is thinking of. And so Jesus fleshes out what it means to be born again. And we see that in verse 6. In response to Nicodemus' question, he says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Our first birth is flesh giving birth to flesh. But this new birth is totally different. It's totally different. It's nothing to do with our flesh. It's to do with the spirit giving birth to spirit. And what does this mean? Well, Jesus is of course talking about becoming a Christian, becoming a born-again Christian. When we become a Christian, we are regenerated. And that's what this doctrine is. It's the doctrine of regeneration. We need to be regenerated. We need to have a whole new self produced. And that's what we get when we believe in what Jesus has done for us. We get a whole new person. We get a whole new person from the Holy Spirit. We're born again without any human involvement. We're born by the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. There is no human involvement. There's human involvement in the flesh giving birth to flesh, but there's no human involvement in the spirit giving birth to spirit. Is that all that it means to be born again? Do we just need the spirit to give birth to us? Or do we need something else? If you read verse 5, it seems like there is something else that is required. Jesus says in verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So am I wrong in saying that, uh, that you only need the Spirit, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit, or is there some human involvement there in the water process? What does it mean to be born of water? Well, a lot of people automatically jump to the idea of what's the most common thing for water, particularly Baptists who know water and the church, you know, baptism. Is this a reference to baptism? You need to be baptised to be born again. You need to have the baptism. You need to have baptism, and you need to be born of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is actually the proof text for the Roman Catholic Church, and they do teach that doctrine. They teach that if you want to get into heaven, you must be baptised, and this is their proof text. Are they correct? Is that right? That you must be baptised to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, I don't think so. Firstly, uh, of course, the rest of Scripture denies that we need baptism for regeneration, that we don't need to have baptism for regeneration. And a classic example I gave a number of weeks ago when I spoke about baptism is the thief on the cross. He wasn't baptised, but Jesus said, you're getting into paradise. And he wasn't baptised. So there's an example there from Jesus' mouth himself. The other reason why I don't think it refers to Christian baptism is because Jesus expects Nicodemus to understand what he's talking about. And who's Nicodemus? We see in verse 1 that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And then Jesus says that you should know what I'm talking about, down in verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then down in verse 10, which we didn't read in our Bible reading, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Now Christian baptism wasn't of course around at this point. And if Jesus was referring to Christian baptism, how on earth would he expect Nicodemus to understand what he's talking about? 
Now some commentators say that he's not talking about Christian baptism but he's talking about John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. But I don't think that Nicodemus should be expected to understand that either because the Pharisees weren't the people who were, uh, they were out there witnessing John's baptism but they weren't out there taking part and they weren't approving of it. And so I don't think it is a reference to John's baptism either although some people do go down that path. The other possibility is that when it says water there, it's a reference to natural birth. It's a reference to our first birth, our physical birth. And there's two ways that people uh, propose this. The first way is that water, the word water there, actually refers to semen. And there's uh, some evidence within Greek writings that this is the case. It sounds foreign to us, but there, because it's fluid, a lot of people go down this track. And so they're saying you must have a physical birth before you can be born again. And that makes some sense, that you need to be born the first time to then be born again. Or the other way is that it's talking about the embryonic fluid around the baby. That is actually is talking about water there and so when the baby kicks in Jill, it's not so much kicking, it's more swimming. And, uh, and so they say that uh, that reference to water there is a reference to the physical birth. But I don't think it's that either because even though some good commentators say that and it seems to make logical sense, of course you have to be born the first time to be born again. Uh, I don't think it's that because Jesus is against referring to any sort of natural birth here. He's all on about the heavenly birth and Nicodemus starts to talk about the physical birth and Jesus points him away, no, 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 I'm talking about the heavenly birth here, being born again. I'm not wanting to talk about physical birth. So what does it mean to be born of water? Well, I think it refers to the Holy Spirit and his cleansing work. And the reason why is because, uh, for one reason, that Nicodemus is expected to know what's going on and there is Old Testament support to link the Holy Spirit with water. And one of the classic passages is, of course, Ezekiel 36, which we had read earlier. Ezekiel chapter 36 reads in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There seems to be a link there. One verse speaks about being cleansed and having water involved there. And then the next one is Uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. So there seems to be a parallel there in Ezekiel 36 and it would be reasonable that Jesus would expect Nicodemus, an important Pharisee, to understand this. And of course in the Old Testament we hear about the Holy Spirit. He's always being poured out and so you've got that sort of liquid uh, image there as well. And then the other big proof text I think that we can take it to mean that the Spirit is uh, the water there is of course in John's Gospel itself where, John later, where Jesus later speaks about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 38, page 1058 if you've got a church pew Bible. John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. There's a direct reference there saying that water is associated with the Holy Spirit and that's in John's Gospel as well and so it's always important. You you do look at other texts in the Bible to try and understand but if you can find uh, evidence there and the same, same author using that same word there 
then uh, that's a, a good proof text then to have. So I think that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit there. He's not referring to baptism. He's not referring to something else. He's putting the word water there and it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's not about anything else. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And it's about, of course, then being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. We're cleansed of our sins when we're born again and we have a whole new person. It's not like when we're born the first time that we are, uh, it is like when we're born the first time, that we're, we're not uh, a clone of our parents and we uh, are either our father or our mother. If we're a boy, we're our father. If we're a daughter, we're a girl, uh, we're our, our mother. But we get a combination of the two and we're a totally new person. And so it is when we're born of the Holy Spirit. We're a totally new person. And this time we are totally new in the sense that we no longer have our sins. We have been cleansed of our sinfulness. We inherit sin from our human parents, but when we're born again we inherit the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we're born again we're made a totally new person and inherit righteousness. And this of course is evidenced by the way that Jesus was born as well the way that he was conceived. He is the great sinless one. He is the one who had no sin. How was he conceived? By the Holy Spirit. We, if we want to be sinless, what do we have to be conceived by? By the Holy Spirit. If we want to be born again, we need to have the Holy Spirit cleanse us and change us. So, we've looked at what it is to be born again. My second main point then is is it necessary to be born again? Is it necessary to be born again? The short answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. How do we know this? Well, there's a few clues in the passage. The first one is in verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. If we want to see the kingdom of God... If we want to be part of the kingdom of God, which we all should want to do, uh, part of that is experiencing Christ's rule on earth here and it's also, of course, going into the kingdom of God for eternity, heaven, paradise, all the good things. We should want that. If we want that, what do we need? Unless he is born again. And then it it says a similar thing in verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. No one can see the kingdom of God and no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It is of absolute necessity. Some commentators try and draw a distinction there between seeing the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God and so they try and uh, draw a distinction there. I'm not sure we can do that. I'm not sure that uh, there's too much of a difference between seeing and entering. Some say it's a case of you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't see its effects in people's lives, this kind of thing, uh, without being born again. And there's something to that, but I think we we can't uh, push that too hard. The other uh, way that we see that is an absolute necessity not just because we can't see the kingdom of God, not because we, just because we can't enter the kingdom of God, but Jesus emphasises himself in his words in verse 7. Again, he says, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. He says, You must be born again. It is of absolute necessity. And the other way that we can see that it's of absolute necessity is the way that it should not be surprising 
We see that in verse 7. You should not be surprised at my saying. And then down in verse 10, You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? We should not be surprised that we need to be born again. And that shows that it is of absolute necessity. When we truly consider how corrupt we are, how sinful we are, and how righteous God is, it should not surprise us that we need to be born again, that we need a whole new self, that our current self is just not good enough when we consider how holy God is and how sin cannot be around him. We should not be surprised that we need to be born again. It is of absolute necessity and it should not surprise us. It's not talking about making a small change when you're born again, not some, even a big change in your life. It's talking about a revolutionary change, a whole new person being formed when you're born again and that should not surprise us. But people resist this. People like their sinful natures. They like their sinful selves and so they don't want to be born again. They really like sinning and they like to hold on to their sinful parts. I remember talking to a friend once, a non-Christian, who, surprising non-Christian, affirms many truths of the, of the Christian faith. He's even happy to affirm that Jesus was raised from the dead. He's happy to say that. But he doesn't want to be cleansed. He doesn't want to be revolutionised. He doesn't want to have a regeneration. He doesn't want to be born again because he says, when I get to heaven, part of me is my, my sin, um, sin has made me who I am today. And that is part of me. And if God was to come and take all the sin out of my life and regenerate me, I wouldn't be me anymore. I'd be someone else. And so he says, I can't accept that. I don't want to be regenerated. I don't want to be born again because I'd lose me. Now that makes, makes some sense to us. We may think that and think, oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. I'd be, if I'm regenerated, I won't be Joel Radford anymore. I'll be some other Joel Radford. I'll have lost all those parts of me growing up, all those sinful bits of me. But when you do that, you make very little of your own sin and you make even you, very, very little of God and his righteousness. You don't see sin for what it is. It is damaging. It is harmful. It is something that should never be clung on to. It is something we should be ready to discard in an instant if we get the chance because we know that God is righteous and holy and we cannot come into his presence. And we should recognise that Jesus has said here, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God if we aren't born again. And we should desire that. We should recognise that we will not have eternal life if we aren't born again. And we should be ready to discard that sin. Even, you know, we should recognise how horrible it is, but even how horrible the consequences are if we hang on to it. If you don't recognise how horrible the sin itself is, and I don't think God in his mercy doesn't often reveal to us how horrible we are because we'd just run screaming if we did, we should recognise how terrible the consequences are of what hell, eternal punishment forever is. And we should be ready to discard even good things in our lives if it means we can have eternal life. We should be ready to be born again because it is of absolute necessity. It's not so much about making bad people good, but it's about making dead people live. That's what regeneration is. It's a total revolution of dead people coming to life. 
So it's absolutely necessary. It is the one need in our life that we cannot do without. We have different needs in our lives. We start having needs when we're very young. Children seem to distinguish very soon between wants and needs. If you tell mum, I need this toy, as opposed to I want this toy, you're more likely to get it. It's a need, it's an absolute necessity. They start off very young and we we recognise that we need food, we need water, we need love from our parents, we need love from our family, we need to do well at school, we need to make lots of friends at school, we need to get a good job when we leave school, we need to get a job that gives us lots of money, we need to have a husband or a wife, we need to have children, we need to have the big superannuation package for when I retire. I need to have holidays when I retire. We go through life with all these needs that we want to fulfil, but are they absolutely necessary? Are they, is any one of them the absolute need? Is air the absolute need that we have? The one need we have in this life is to be born again. That is the absolute necessity of all the other needs, this one is at the top. This, we, can, we can do without bread for a while, we can do without food, we can do without water and we survive along, but we need to be born again. That is the one thing in our lives we must make sure of. Have we been born again? There is no greater need than that because that's the one that has eternal consequences. If you don't get your bread and your water for a time, Eventually, yes, you will die, but that will be the end of that need. The one need that we have is eternal life and the way that comes about is by being born again. We must be born again. And everyone has this need. It's not just for a couple of people have this need to be born again. The other people are righteous, they're okay. Everyone is unrighteous and everyone needs to be born again. It's interesting that Jesus breaks out of speaking to Nicodemus alone and speaking to the plural. You don't get it in your, in your English translations because one of the problems with the English language is we can't distinguish between you singular and you plural, although some people like the word use. You know, and I, I, I'm quite inclined to use the word use if we can, if we can institute it because we need a difference. We had, um, uh, but we see it here in the Greek has two different words and we see the NIV translation try to do its best to bring it across. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you, and he was talking to Nicodemus in singular, you must be born again, but that word you there in the Greek it means plural and the NIV has a little footnote there, letter E, and you drop down, verse 7, E, the Greek is plural. Everyone needs to be born again. Yous, everyone, need to be born again. Everyone needs it. And we have to come to accept this, particularly ministers. I read a few weeks ago about George Whitfield, that great preacher, and people flocking to hear him preach. And he used to preach on this text all the time, you must be born again. And one of his friends said to him, George Whitfield, in the 1700s, said to him, George, why do you always preach on this text? you must be born again. What was his reply? I preach on it because you must be born again. We must be born again. It is the one thing in this life that we cannot do without. We must be born again. 
So we've seen what it is to be born again. We've seen that it's of absolute necessity. The final point that I want to make is the question, who can be born again? I want to answer that question, who can be born again? Because everyone needs it, but can they get it? We know this with needs that we have in our life. Sometimes we feel the need quite strongly, but we know that we can't get it. We might be hungry and we don't have the food around. We might crave something in particular, but it's not there and we can't get it. Can we get this new birth? Can we get it for ourselves? Everyone needs it. Can we get it for ourselves? Well, the answer is no. We can't get it for ourselves. We can't obtain the new birth. We can desire it, but we can't obtain it. We can be told about it, but we can't obtain it. How do we get it? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us that it is of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit it is of who he chooses by his pleasure. And he uses an illustration to do this. And we see it in verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Just as the wind blows where it pleases, so the Holy Spirit blows where he pleases. The only way we can be born again is of the Spirit. The Spirit has to do it all. We can't do anything. And the Spirit goes to only those he pleases to go to in his pleasure. They're the only people who can be born again. Now this might seem harsh. You may be sitting here and desiring, saying, I want to be born again. I want to be into the kingdom of God. I want to see the kingdom of God and I want to enter the kingdom of God. How can I get the Holy Spirit to blow in my direction? Well, the answer's in the illustration. It says in verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Just as we know where the wind is because we see its effects, so it is with the Holy Spirit. We can tell where the Holy Spirit is because of the effects of the Holy Spirit. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're desiring to be born again, you're desiring to be regenerated, then that's a good sign the Holy Spirit is already working on your heart. That's a good sign. It's one of those ways we know where the Holy Spirit is. And so as the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and makes you born again, then you can desire to be born again. If you're desiring to be born again, good chance you already have been because the sinful mind is hostile to God. You cannot want to be born again except by the Holy Spirit. If you desire to be born again, then you probably already are. You get born again and then you can have the saving faith and enter into the kingdom of God. The order there is, in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. You're born of water and the Spirit and then you enter into the kingdom of God. How do you enter into the kingdom of God? by believing in Jesus Christ as your personal saviour. What he did on the cross, that is what gets you into the kingdom of God. But first you must be born again. The Spirit gives you the strength and the ability to do it, to have that saving faith. If you're here this morning and you're not born again and you want to be born again, then believe in Jesus Christ, trust in him as his sacrifice for your sins and know that you already have been. If you truly repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, then you've already been born again. You have a responsibility to seek and desire to be born again because you must. And if you do, then know that the Holy Spirit is 
probably already working on your heart. And if you truly have repented and believed, then he has worked on your heart and you have been born again. I want to finish with this third main point of who can be born again by looking at, is, it, is anyone too hard to be born again? Because I think we have a good illustration here in the text of whether it is possible for everyone to be born again or are there people that are too hard? And we see this in Nicodemus, this Pharisee. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, as I pointed out earlier. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was a big shot. He was a Pharisee. Who are the Pharisees usually in the Gospels? They're Jesus' enemies. They're the ones that are most hostile to Jesus. And Jesus is hostile back to them. Read Matthew 23 where he says, Woe, 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 woe. He really rips into them. They are hostile to him and he gives it back to them. He tells them, these are Jesus' enemies. But here we have one of Jesus' enemies, Nicodemus, coming and showing interest in Jesus. He starts off weak. He's showing an interest in Jesus, but we see some ways that he shows that he is a bit weak. He's not strong and truly convicted that he needs to go and see Jesus. And there's a couple of clues in the text. The first clue is that he came by night. We see it in verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. Now some commentators say he came to Jesus at night because Jesus was with crowds all through the day and it was a bit hard to get to him and so he came to when he knew he'd have a good chance to have a chat. Now that's a possibility but it's interesting that John often talks about night and darkness in in a bad sense, that it is spiritual darkness And later on in the book, when he talks about Nicodemus again, he mentions him as the one who came to Jesus at night. So John's trying to really pull out that that Nicodemus came at night. And so I think John's trying to emphasise that this guy's in spiritual darkness and he is also coming at night probably because he's a bit afraid of people seeing him. People like to go around at night if they don't want to be seen. You don't have burglars come during the day very often. They usually come at night because they have the cloak of darkness. And so I think that's why Nicodemus is coming at night here. He's a bit weak. He's, he's still not quite sure. And we see another clue to this in the way he speaks to Jesus in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, which is a, a, a good title for Jesus. He's saying, teacher, great one. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. He has witnessed Jesus' miraculous signs. But what does he say about Jesus? He says, You're a teacher and you must be from God. He doesn't say you're a prophet. He certainly doesn't say that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He won't go that far. He stops at teacher, teacher from God. So starting off weekly here, he's witnessed these miracles and instead of believing and trusting as we see so many people do when they witness Jesus' miracles, he starts off weak here. And we see that he shows a bit of a weakness in the way that he was stuck in human terms of the spiritual birth. Instead of thinking about the spiritual birth, he thinks of an earthly birth. And we've seen that in verse 4. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He doesn't understand. But despite his weakness, Jesus welcomes him. Jesus doesn't tell him to get lost. He welcomes him. This guy has come. He's weak. But I'm going to welcome him. He's got a question. And I'm going to talk to him. But notice that Jesus attacks him in what he trusts most. The Pharisees believed in the kingdom of God. 
They thought they were going to the kingdom of God. How were they going to get into the kingdom of God? By being Jews, by their natural birth. That's how they get into the kingdom of God. What does Jesus say to him? Even you need to be born again if you want to get into the kingdom of God. Your natural birth isn't good enough. And that's the way we have to, when we evangelise as Christians, we've got to try and work out what someone's trusting in, a non-Christian. What are you trusting in to get you into heaven? And we attack them at that point. We see Jesus doing this with Nicodemus. He knows what Nicodemus trusts in and that's his natural birth and so he goes for it and says, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And did Nicodemus stay this way, weak? No, we see him actually grow. We see him become a follower of Jesus. I'm pretty sure we can say that he was born again. We see it in chapter 7. Chapter 7, we see Nicodemus show up again. The religious leaders are having a bit of a a talk about what they're going to do to Jesus and talking about uh, who he is. And Nicodemus pipes up in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? He sticks up for Jesus and then he gets rebuked for it. We see in verse uh, 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. He's prepared to defend Jesus there and that is showing some fruits of a lively faith. And then the last time that we see Nicodemus is in chapter 19. Chapter 19. We see in verse 38, Nicodemus show up again. Jesus is dead. He's died on the cross. His body is there. Who goes and gets Jesus' body? Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. We see Nicodemus there going boldly before the state authorities to Pilate, associating with a criminal. This isn't just Jesus you know, wandering around doing miracles, a sort of a popular figure. This is a condemned criminal by the state and here we have Nicodemus showing up and saying, I want to bury this guy's body. He's wanting to be associated with Jesus. So although he starts off weak, We see him grow and develop in the Gospel of John and become what I believe to be a firm believer in Jesus Christ. So anyone can be born again, even an enemy of Jesus Christ. And that's what we all are before we're a Christian. We're all hostile to God. We're all in rebellion to him. And so I want to finish by asking, have you been born again? That crucial question, the greatest need you have in your life, have you been born again? I don't care if you had Christian parents growing up. You must be born again. I don't care if you went to Sunday school every, da- every Sunday as a child. You must be born again. I don't care if you came to church week by week as an adult. You must be born again. I don't care if people say you're a good person. You must be born again. It is the one need that we have. And if you're a Christian... Look at those people around you and remember that. The non-Christian family members you have, the non-Christian friends you have, think their one need is to be born again. They may think their one need is to have a nice house, to have lots of money, to have 
a big family, you've got to remind them, no, your one need is to be born again. What does Jesus say? I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us in our sins and transgressions, but that you sent your Son to die on the cross. And by his payment for our sins, the Holy Spirit has the power and authority to give us this new birth, to regenerate us. We thank you that so many of us have chosen to believe in Jesus Christ and that we have been born again, that we have a whole new self. We are cleansed from our sins. We pray that we'll continue to condemn the sin in our life, continue to be want to be rid of it until that one day where we enter into the eternal paradise where we are completely cleansed and renewed and transformed and never to sin again. We pray for anyone here this morning who has not been born again. We pray that they may see their need and trust in you for the first time. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.